continue tonight where we were this morning, actually finding ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we're going to tie the scripture reading of Ephesians 2 uh, to exactly uh, what we're looking at tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I remind you that really what we're focusing in on tonight, as we were this morning, is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And you're reminded that Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing to Timothy, and he calls Timothy something very special. He says, Timothy, you are my true son in the faith. And it, it denotes this very close, intimate relationship that Paul feels with Timothy, and obviously Timothy does with Paul, as they were very close to one another, and Paul responsible so much for what uh, Timothy was and, and who he would become. Timothy felt that, and certainly Paul did as well. I remind you that in verse 4 of chapter 1, Paul says, I left you in Ephesus, I went on to Macedonia, but I left you there, uh, again, to, to help put in place what is needed there in Ephesus, and I want you to charge some that they would teach no other doctrine. Now, as you go through the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, doctrine is really going to be at the forefront. He says, I want you to be very concerned about truth. The fact, chapter 2 and verse number 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of what? Truth. And so he's very concerned about this, and we see this repeated emphasis put on truth and doctrine. He will call it the gospel, but we're talking about this embodiment of God's truth, the embodiment of what God has supplied. And Timothy, I want you to be very concerned about that truth. I want you to be very concerned about the gospel. In fact, Timothy, verse 14, I really want to come. I, I plan to be there. I plan to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, these things I have written to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. There we go again. The truth, doctrine, the gospel. It's an emphasis that Paul is putting on, through, on Timothy's mind all the way through this particular letter. Now this morning we looked at that idea of what Paul has to say about proper conduct. I'm writing so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. I want, I'm writing so that you know what proper behavior or proper conduct looks like. And so we looked at these things that Paul had written. We looked at these things concerning worship and proper conduct when it comes to public worship of the church. This morning we also looked at proper conduct when it comes to moral behavior in the eyes of God and those things that Timothy uh, was told by Paul in this letter regarding morals and proper moral behavior in the eyes of God. What we left off this morning, though, was in looking at that third aspect of proper behavior, and that is proper spiritual behavior. And again, what we're tying that proper spiritual behavior to is the Word of God. And the fact that God has delivered His Word to us, and therefore we should love the truth, we should love the Word that God has provided, we should be willing to proclaim that truth and be willing to defend that truth. The truth of God's Word. Now tonight I told you what I wanted to do is continue through verse 15 and look at two great word pictures. The two great word pictures are we're going to look at tonight, and there are two words that I want you to associate with these pictures. The words are uh, relationship and responsibility. 
I want you to get that in your mind as we're going to look at these two pictures because what we're looking at is relationship and responsibility. Now first, let's begin with that idea of relationship and see together what the picture is that Paul paints. Again, in verse number 15, I'm writing so that if I'm delayed, so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in what? The house of God. That's our word picture number one. And this word picture, we want to associate with it the word relationship. The house of God. Now, that's not the first time in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we actually find that word house. It's found two other times in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so you back up to verse number 4, and you'll notice that in this list of qualifications for men who are going to serve as elders of the church, we find this word house twice. Number 4, verse number 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Verse number 5, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, if you just read those two verses, and you think about an elder, you think about a man who is, who is qualified or unqualified to serve as an elder, and you see that that word house is tied to this man, what do you think we're talking about? We're talking about those in his household, aren't we? We're talking about those who make up his household. We are told that this is going to be a man who is the husband of one wife. We are told in verse number 5 or verse number 4 that, that he is going to have children and his children are going to be in submission. And so the picture of this house is a picture of his wife and children. They make up his household. They are in relationship. Now, you carry that idea right over then to verse number 15. And really what it should do is cause our faces to brighten. And what Paul is saying here is he's, I'm reminding you who are Christians, those of you who are members of the church of the living God, that you are a part of God's house. You are a part of God's family. And that's what he's talking about. This wonderful picture of the church in a right relationship, those who are in a right relationship with God. Where is that found? Well, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 tells us where. The church is made up of those who are saved. Who are the saved? Well, again, it goes back to this idea, this concept, this basic concept of the gospel, the truth of God. You can stand out on the Illinois and you can survey, and you may have to go a little ways, a few blocks this way, and a few blocks that way, and a few blocks another way, and a few blocks another way. And you don't have to go very far, is my point. And you will find different flavors, if you will, of quote-unquote Christianity. And you go to some of these and you say, well, what do you think I must do to be saved? Or, or what's a, what do I have to do to be a part of, of your church, or your church, or your church? I'm not interested, to put it bluntly, in anyone else's church. I want to be a part of the house of God. I want to be in a relationship with God. I want God to look at me as one of his children. And so to be one of his children, I must be willing to obey the truth. Again, this is very basic for us tonight, I hope, but I want you to know, friends, that the Bible says what it says, and if we want to be in a right relationship with God, then we have to do what God says we must in order to be in that relationship. 
I want to be a part of his house. You see? And so to do that, I need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. I need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 8 and verse 24. I need to be willing to repent of sin in my life. Uh, Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. I need to be willing to confess my faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Right? Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And I must be willing to be baptized, that is to be immersed in, in water, there meeting the blood of Christ, uh, having my sins washed away, and rising to walk in newness of life. That is what the Bible says obeying the gospel consists of. Acts 2 verses 37 all the way through 47 paints this wonderful picture of those who in one moment were asking men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we obtain salvation? What must we do to be saved? And by the end of that context, verse 47, they are saved and have been added by the Lord to his church. That's what they've done to be saved. Those things that we have just discussed. I'm reminding us tonight that this is where we find that relationship. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 that Brother Carl read moments ago. And you remember that, that Paul has, has written a letter to this congregation in Ephesus where Timothy now finds himself several, a few years later. And remember, he's, he said to them already, he says, You are saints. You are the sanctified. You are the ones who have been separated. And you are members of the household of God. You are in a relationship with God. Tonight, as you think about what, what Paul told the Ephesians there in Ephesians chapter 2, and you think about what he's telling Timothy, it's, it's the same thing. And that's what he's reminding these people, that you are members of the household of God. You are a part of the church of the living God. He's not dead. Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He purchased the church with his own blood, and he raised to walk again from the dead. But I, I'm just reminded again of the wonderful words of 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. Again, tonight, first of all, in this word picture that Paul paints, we're talking about relationship. Well, it doesn't get any closer than 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. He continues on and he says, Therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. The pure are the ones in a relationship with, with, with God. Those who are in this right relationship with God, those who are part of His house, those who are His children, are those who are striving themselves to be pure, just as Jesus is pure. It's a wonderful picture. I, I, I know we can never, ever do it justice, but as part of God's house, we should desire to behave ourselves properly. And so I go back again to some of those things we touched on this morning. Paul says to Timothy, I'm writing these things so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. As a part of God's family, you should desire to do what God says. How would you feel if I walked into your house? 
I don't know, Brother Powers, talk and pick on you for a second. But I walk into the, the lovely home of Brother and Sister Powers. And I said, Brother Powers, I'm sure you've got some wonderful rules, and you had some wonderful rules when your children were growing up and when they were small, but, but uh, I, I'm going to come in here, and I'm just going to change all of it. I'm going to change all your rules. And, and I don't care you know, what you think about it. I'm just going to go into your house and tell you that your rules are, are uh, uh, old, they're outdated, they, they don't belong anymore, and, and I'm going to go in and I'm just going to change all the rules of your house. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's not just Brother Powers. I mean, walk into anybody's house. You just picture yourself walking into somebody else's house and you say, I'm here to take over. All right? I don't really care how you feel about it. I'm just going to change all the rules that you have in place. I'm telling you, if you walk into my house and you say, hey, Adam, Julie, I, I'm, uh, you're, you're good enough, but you're not that good, and I'm just going to change all the rules in your house. Uh, it's just not going to set well with me. Because the rules I have in my house, I feel, are in place for a reason, don't you? If you, if you didn't feel that way about them, you wouldn't have them as rules in your house. You don't want anybody coming into your house and changing up all your rules. Why do we think it's okay to do that with God then? Whose house are we talking about? We're talking about God's house. I'm telling you how to conduct yourself properly in God's house. We're not in the place, you see to go into God's house, to be members of his body and members of his church and start changing all the rules. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in real life. It doesn't work that way spiritually. You see, I'll just put it this way. I hear too many at times questioning God. Why? Why do we have to do it that way? Why does it have to be done like that? You know what the answer is? It doesn't matter why. If God said that's the way it's to be done, then let's just do it. I'm a pretty simple-minded person. You figured that out by now. But that's a pretty simple-minded way of looking at things. But isn't that right? You wouldn't want somebody to come into your house and change the rules, but you're not talking about a man's house. You're talking about the Creator's house. No. No, you don't have the right to change the rules. No. There's a way to conduct yourself. But here's what the wonderful thing about God. And, and he says here, I know I am the creator of heaven and earth. I have breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. I have created you in my image. And you broke my law. And you were sin in sin and you were lost as you can be. But I, through my son, have provided you a way out a way to be saved. I have provided you a way to have a relationship with me again. You see, when you think about things in simple ways like that, it really makes that, that notion of wanting to change the rules just fly out the window. No, I don't want to change the rules. I am not in the place of God. We simply want to conduct ourselves the way that we should. That's a wonderful picture of a relationship that God has with people with you and I in his house. Now, number, word number two is the word uh, responsibility. And the picture that we have is that of a massive pedestal. A massive pedestal. 
You know, I thought many times about how exactly to say exactly what we're talking about, but let's just look at what the Bible says. And the Bible says that I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And he says it's the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I want you to picture tonight this giant pedestal. And again, what we're doing is, is we're supporting something that sits on top of a pedestal. It's kind of ridiculous to have a pedestal and nothing on top of it, right? If you don't have a pedestal and something on top of it, what is it? It's just a stand. I don't know. It's, it's not a pedestal, but it's just something that's sitting there taking up a lot of space. You've got to hold something on it. Well, he says what you're holding, what you're supporting is truth. All right? And this is your responsibility as the church. This is your responsibility as those who are in the house of God. It's a picture here of a massive pillar. He says, you are a pillar. A pedestal, rather. You are a pillar. Now, pillars are amazing things. And I know that when you think of a pillar, you think like I do, and, and you think of a, a giant column, and you think of it supporting something, right? It's got something on it. But I want to remind you that in the city of Ephesus, and that's where Timothy finds himself, and that's who Paul's writing to, that in the city of Ephesus, you had these giant pillars, these giant columns that were erected on the outskirts of the city. And so as you were coming into the city of Ephesus, you were looking at these giant pillars, and you knew that you were coming into the city of Ephesus. And it could be that what Paul has in mind here is this visual aid. You, as Christians, are God's visual aid to the world. You have a responsibility to show God as God's people to the world. I have a responsibility as one of God's children, as a member of his house, not because I'm worthy, but because of Jesus, he looks at me as one of his children. And he says, I want you to display me to the world. You're a pillar. Now, we get this concept throughout the, the, the New Testament, but I want you to see there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, again, what we're talking about in verse number 15, he calls it this, this pillar, this visual aid. Now, turn back in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I love to look at these verses very much. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, again, we're talking to members of this same church, and here in verse number 6, Paul says, he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. He says, your faith toward God has gone out, so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the, the true and living God, the, the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Again, what I want you to see here is something very simple. Paul says, look, I, I don't need to, to tell you about the faith that you have. He said, everybody knows about the faith that you possess, how we came and we presented the gospel to you and, and how you received it. 
and you turn to God away from idols, you turned and, and you're willing to serve the true and living God, he says your faith has gone out not only in this region or the region of Achaia, but it's gone all over the world. People are talking about you and your faith. You know what you are? You're a pillar. You're a visual aid. You're a picture of somebody who was lost and you were willing to do what you must in order to be saved and people are looking at you and they see your faith. You are this great pillar. So what you're saying, Paul, is that you want people looking at me. No. No, what I want people to do is to see you but more than that, I want them to see Jesus in you. That's the pillar that we're really trying to show. I want you to notice in that context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul begins by really building up these Thessalonian brethren, right? These who are members of the household of God. He says, you know, you've got this great faith and everybody knows what you're willing to do, but do you notice how quickly he shifts the focus from them to Jesus? You see how quickly he does that? You are now waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's really not about you. You have a great responsibility to show forth Jesus to the world. You have a great responsibility to show people, tell people, declare to people what the truth is. You are to be that pillar that people can see. But he says more than just that pillar, on the bottom of that pedestal is the ground. Interestingly, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 is the only time in the New Testament that we find that specific word translated ground. Other translations have the word buttress or support. That's the only time that we find that specific word in the New Testament. And again, at its very definition, what we're looking at is the foundation. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 says Jesus is the foundation. In Ephesians chapter 2, read for us a little bit ago now, we find that the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. What is it? Well, it's Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone, and it's the truth that we're talking about. What we're talking about is that foundation of Jesus Christ, the apostles and prophets building on it. He says, now you are the pillar, you're the one that people can see, and ultimately you are supporting the truth. Where do we find it? John 17, 17. Your word is truth. Our responsibility is to uphold and support and to show truth. That is our responsibility. Those who are saved must come to a knowledge of the truth. And so my question to us as God's people is what happens if you and I stop defending the truth? You got an empty pedestal. There's nothing up there. The Holy Spirit is going to see to it that God's word is always preserved for man to have. That's what he's going to do. He's going to make sure that truth is always preserved. 
He's going to make sure that the Word of God is always going to be available, but the responsibility of teaching and the responsibility of defending falls upon the shoulders of God's people. We must have this relationship with the truth. It's a big responsibility, and you and I need to never forget it. You and I are given the the ability to have a right relationship with God. Paul says, I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God as part of his family. I want you to know what proper behavior is. I want you to know that you have a this right relationship with God, but I want you to know that your responsibility is to uphold and support and show forth the truth. As I conclude tonight, I want you to know that Paul was writing to Timothy in the city of Ephesus. How many times have I said that? Enough, I suppose. I want you to know and be reminded that in that city of Ephesus was one of the wonders, seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of the goddess Diana, as false as she could possibly be, a figment of man's imagination. And yet, from almost anywhere in the city of Ephesus, we are told, you could have seen this great structure that was erected to this false goddess. And so you had a foundation in this temple, and you had these great columns that were holding this great structure all together, but it was established on falsehood. Ephesians 2. You're being built together into the temple of God. That's where He dwells. He dwells in the church. He dwells among His family. And we have a great responsibility that comes with this wonderful relationship. Too many are justifying bad behavior. And we need to be careful. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else. But how careful we need to be with the responsibility that God has placed in our hands. How serious we need to be as those who are members of his house as we handle aright his precious word given to our care. And tonight, I want you to think about us as the family of God. May we, as God's family, strive always to display God to the world. May we, as God's family, strive always to defend and support the truth of God. Tonight, as a member of God's family, if you're finding yourself a not very good visual aid, not living life perhaps as you should, not conducting yourself, behaving yourself as God would have you, can I remind you tonight of that wonderful relationship that is provided through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are a part of God's house, we're a part of his family, that he has given us an opportunity to be saved. And tonight, if you're neglecting that, you're mistreating that and abusing it, failing to live up to your responsibility, then won't you please make that right? If you need to respond in a public way, the Lord's invitation is extended. 
Tonight, if you're not a member of God's house, if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you're not a Christian, and when I say that, I mean it, I mean if you've not obeyed what the Bible says you must in order to be saved, then won't you tonight? Do you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? Will you come in repentance, confessing, in baptism? Will you put the Lord on? Will you wear his name? And will you display him to the world and defend the gospel that's been entrusted to us? Well, tonight, if you need to come, the Lord's invitation is extended. Please, come while together we stand and while we sing.